Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light, kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growley Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growley Leather. So visit GrowleyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors. This is The Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Well, welcome to The Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Brian Gill. And we are so honored today to be joined by Louis Marcos, uh, professor of English and scholar-in-residence at Houston Baptist University. Louis teaches classes on both Lewis and Tolkien. He's a author of 22 published books and a lecture series uh, with the teaching uh, company Great Courses, which is pretty cool. Um, the Life and Writings of C.S. Lewis, Plato to Postmodernism, Understanding the Essence of Literature and the Role of the Author, all topics that we look forward to maybe maybe touching on a little bit. He also uh, lectures on apologetics, Lewis, education, ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Lewis is committed, I love this, committed to the concept of a professor as a public educator and believes knowledge must not be um, walled up in the academy but must be disseminated to all who have ears to hear so we're thankful we have ears to hear and you're willing to join us and share uh, the things that you've learned so there's a lot of ground that we can cover um, but let's start by saying welcome Lewis. Hey thanks so much and I'll tell you all of us all your listeners certainly we see C.S. Lewis as a role model but I'm kind of lucky because Lewis is a double role model because I'm an English professor and so Lewis is a role model in so many ways and one of the ways he's a role model for me as a professor is that Lewis, even though he had a specialty, always strove to be a generalist. And we live in an overly specialized age. I mean, all right, if there's something wrong with my eyes, I would like to go to an eye specialist, right? There are certain places in science and engineering, but certainly in the humanities. I mean, I have a specialty, the romantics. I did my work, my dissertation on William Wordsworth. I love the romantics. I love the Victorians. But Lewis has always pressed me to be a renaissance man, to be a generalist, to make connections between things. And whether people realize it or not, that's one of the amazing things about Lewis, that he cuts across disciplines and gives mm -hmm. us that aha moment. And gentlemen, I've had so many light bulb flashes from reading Lewis that it burned off all my hair. You can see it right there. Okay, so that's, that's my reason. And I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Well, my dad would always say, Lewis, either your hair turns gray or it turns loose. So, uh, oh, there we go. 
I love I love that about the the Renaissance man, the generalist. Uh, you know, I, I knew about C.S. Lewis growing up, hearing Narnia, reading Narnia, that type of thing. But when I was in seminary, I took a class called An Apostle to the Skeptics, oh. and C.S. Lewis. Uh, it was it was about C.S. Lewis, but Calvin Miller is the who was was the professor of it, and so he taught me about C.S. Lewis and. Those two worlds combining, I, I looked up to Lewis and Calvin Miller was a mentor of mine. And just being able to see these two worlds collide gave me a, a, just a love for all things C.S. Lewis. And, and it's kind of continued on, you know, it's at, obviously today because we have a podcast that says it's somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark. But oh, great. I'd like to know about you. Where did your love for Lewis come from? First, I have to ask you, you mean Calvin Miller has done the Singer trilogy? Yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see him, you know, one of the first people working in Lewis's idiom of, you know, allegory and things like that. So, yeah, I remember reading those. Those were wonderful, Calvin. So that's great. That's I, have, I have a whole library of, of Miller books behind me right here. So. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. Well, I'm, what, what makes me a little unique, first of all, you know, Lewis died the same exact day that John uh, uh, Kennedy was assassinated, John F. Kennedy. And I was born exactly two months after that. So I like to say I got a little bit of Lewis's spirit. I grew up in a Greek yeah. home. All four of my grandparents, born in Greece, came to America, grew up Greek Orthodox. Uh, and uh, and yet our priest uh, always referred to himself as a born-again Christian. This was the 70s. Remember Jimmy Carter said that? Uh, and interestingly, when we graduated uh, levels of Sunday school, they would give us a gift. And usually they were focusing on history and all but they actually gave me a copy of Mere Christianity and Screwtape Letters. So I remember reading oh, wow. that very early. Uh, maybe I was 15 or 16. I also read the Narnia Chronicles as a kid, but didn't know all the Christian connections the first time I read them. Uh, so I grew up with that, and I kept coming back to Lewis. But as you can imagine, going to college in the 80s, you couldn't take any classes in Lewis and Tolkien. Nobody was writing any dissertations on them or anything. Uh, so that was always a love of mine. Um, and then uh, around 2000, uh, the teaching company, the Great Courses, uh, flew me out there. They're near D.C. Uh, in Virginia. And they flew me out there, and I did a lecture series on literary theory, 24 le uh, lectures called From Plato to Postmodernism. And they really liked it. And so after we were done, they said, well, what else can you do? And I said, well, what about a course on the epic? Already done. Well, what a course of, about a course on Greek tragedy? Already done. What about Greek mythology? Already done. Everything I said. And then I said, well, I always like C.S. Lewis. They said, do it. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh. Nice. So I spent, this is about a year before 9-11, I spent the entire summer rereading everything by Lewis, cross-referencing wow. it, reading other stuff, you know, in a, in a way almost made myself an expert. This is still the cusp before the explosion of, of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, that first book was by Chad Walsh, Apostle to the Skeptics. Um, that's one of the first C.S. Lewis right. books that, of course, got its name. And, um, and then, so that really forced me i did all of that i made all those connections I, I basically treated lewis you know when you're when you do a phd you have your classwork and you have your dissertation but the other thing are called your exams where you read these really long reading lists that you put together mm -hmm. and take an exam on it so that's kind of right. how i handled lewis let's make this into a super reading list put it all together um and then that led to um, a three lecture series i did for a c.s lewis group up in uh, somewhere north north texas um and that, in turn, turned into um, a cover article in Christianity Today back about 2003. It was called Myth Matters. Uh, and then that led to Broadman and Holman. 
that's the Baptist publisher. Yeah. They asked me to write a book. So I, that, that became the book Lewis Agonistes, which was my first published book, too. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just went on. And then from the things, there. one of the things I do, and, you know, to me, that's kind of a service is I do a lot of uh, review essays, reading lots of books. And so that gets me to keep up with as many Lewis and Tolkien books as well and read them carefully. So that's been really helpful. Uh, and all these wonderful C.S. Lewis groups. And lately, the last 10 years, I spend much of, if not most of my time, speaking for classical Christian schools in one way or another, conferences. And they love, I mean, that's the education they're trying to give us, the Lewis and Tolkien education. Mm, yeah. And then the classes, and, and it, it's, it's just been wonderful. And, and what I love is when you're a Lewis scholar, especially, you get invited to speak at all different denominations. So that's mm. been wonderful for me. And, and you know, it, it's mere Christianity, which is, I'm, I'm Baptist, but I'm really mere Christianity at heart. Uh, and, and it's been wonderful, a wonderful ride. And the people, and you need to understand, the people that love Lewis will read almost everything. If it's and, got that yeah. name on it, you're right. You know, I love Wordsworth, I love tennis, and I teach all these people, but you can read too much of them. Even the great Wordsworth, you read too much stuff, enough. But Lewis, everything is very unique. Very few, maybe Shakespeare would be another person, but almost nobody is that good and that interesting that you can keep reading and not burn out. Mm. So completely unique. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it covers a lot, too. It's not a single, you know, it's not just fantasy or, you know, it covers a lot of different kind of ground and appeals to so many different kinds of people, too. And I think that's one of the other draws for, for Lewis as well. But you're right, man. If it has his name on it, people, like, they want to devour it. Anything, even his juvenilia, you know, <laughs> boxing and stuff like that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just the letters. I mean, the, the three volumes letters is like that thick, this whole screen. Uh, Amazing. And, uh, thousands several thousand pages uh it's just amazing even the letters are worth reading yeah you've written uh, you've written a good bit not only on lewis but you also love tolkien as well what what is it about those guys their stories or their words that continue to resonate with so many like we're talking about what why is it do you think it resonates so well i'll tell you now do you guys have a renaissance festival near you anywhere near you that you go to they're all over the country I've seen them. I've never been to one. Oh, you know, they're, they're wonderful. It's called the Renaissance Festival, but it's really medieval. Uh, everybody's always dressed up and all this wonderful stuff. And this one of the best ones is in Houston, North Houston. So I take my kids there growing up. And it took me several years to suddenly notice something. I started to look around at the people that were also there. And I suddenly realized that 75% of the people at that fair I would disagree with them about everything from politics <laughs> to religion, to family, to sexuality, to the economy, everything. These people would hate everything the Middle Ages stands for. And yet they're there. One of my, my point is that both Narnia and Middle Earth are medieval places. And I believe that we are hungry. We Americans are hungry for that. We may say we want egalitarianism and equity. Good Lord. Thank God we never get that. But we realize the beauty of hierarchy, the beauty of difference. Guess what, folks? When you go to a Renaissance Festival, you can tell the difference between a boy and a girl. Okay? There are boxes <laughs> everywhere, okay? And these guys, you know, they may even be wearing cod pieces, okay? And they may be wearing kilts, but they look like men, okay? So I, I, mean, I really think there's a part of us as Americans that's hungry for that. And I think that draws me. They may, if you, if you told them that, no, I don't believe that. But they see something where there's a meaning in the world. There's a beauty in the world. There's something good to fight for. There's good and evil. There are standards. These are the things that 
people want. They may say they don't want it. They want to be relativists. They want to throw it out. But they know. Look, folks, people may think they're existentialists. That means that I'm just born as a blank slate and I make it up as I go along. Uh, Sartre said existence precedes essence. What that means is we're not born with any meaning or purpose or essence. We make it up as we go along. I'm sorry. The vast majority of people, even if they say they're atheists, believe they've got a purpose and they need to find that calling if they're going to have meaning in their life. Mm. They never connect the dots and realize that's nonsense if we're just the products of Darwinian evolution and nothing more. So what I'm saying is even secular people read it because in Lewis and Tolkien is a sense of wonder, a sense of beauty, a sense of meaning and purpose and something worth fighting for. Fighting for. And I think that attracts people, both the believer and the secular person are attracted to that whether they realize it or not. Yeah, that's that great line from, uh, wasn't it, Samwise that delivers that line, that the people in those stories, you know, they realize that we, that we had something worth fighting for. I mean, that, that he sums it up there. It, it is. You know, these these that's the way it was with the stories that really matter, full of yes. darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be good when so much bad had happened, right? Mm. Yes. And yet again, even darkness will end. A new day will rise, and when it does, I mean, it's just wonderful. All, all of it's kind of put together from different parts of Tolkien, uh, but it is faithful. Uh, Sam's speech at the end of uh, The Two Towers uh, yes. reminds us that we're part of that story, uh, mm. and the story keeps going on. We're mm. part of the story. Don't the great stories never end, Mr. Frodo, right? What kind of a story have we fallen into? Uh, and maybe the, the story that's not as good for the people in the story, but good for the people outside the story. <laughs> and I'm so glad that they, they kept the great line at the end, at the end of the novel, the end of the movie, uh, when Frodo says, we set out to save the Shire and it has been saved, but not for me. Right? Mm. There, there is that understanding of a sense of sacrifice. I mean, come on. What happens at the end of the secular Avengers endgame? We'll just end there. I don't know what's going to follow, but let's end there where the most <laughs> self-centered, narcissistic guy, uh, Captain yeah. in, uh, uh, Iron Man, sacrifices himself. And people yeah. realize the beauty of that and That's the right. rightness of it. And so they may try to be politically correct, but if they're telling the story right, it's going to have a moral ending at the end. Right? That's uh, right. What's the name? Lucas tried to be really liberal in episode three. Uh, you know, if you're not for me, you're against me. They were making fun of something George W. Bush said, but they couldn't. It's in the end. It's still the case that the Jedi, I think, in absolute terms, and that's right. It's mm -hmm. the uh, empire that everything is, you know, negotiable. Right? There is no mm -hmm. truth. So what I'm From saying, a certain is point of view, so hard to make our politically correct fairy tales, but in the end, it often backfires on them because if mm -hmm. they're telling a true story. It's going to be part of what we call the meta narrative, creation, yeah. fall, redemption, yes. glorification. It's going to be part of the meta narrative, and they can't That's break. So them. good, so good. Wow, I mean, <laughs> just <laughs> I could listen to that all day. I mean, just Great going. It goes hey, that off is, in so many directions. Oh, I love it. So you know, we, we one of the purposes of this podcast is that we we try to inspire people to write their own stories and you know reflect on their own adventures that's kind of one of the, the the byproducts of what we're hoping to do here when people read your books what are you hoping that they take away oh that's good again i want a sense of what the, the things that are missing today a sense of wonder and get ready for this a sense of gratitude 
Why is it that the richest nation of all time with us living better lives than any, even with COVID, living better lives, not only than anybody in the past, but 90% of people living right now, and yet we have no gratitude. Now, when I mean that, I don't mean I want them to be grateful to me. I want them to read the books and see the beauty and design and wonder and feel a sense of gratitude and let go of our envy and our resentment, right? Our envy and resentment and entitlement have gotten so bad that the only way to stop people is God had to raise up a non-believer named Jordan Peterson, who hopefully will be a believer within the year. Um, But we need this guy, a psychologist, who are usually the bad guys, let's be honest, okay? A social scientist, he has to come up and tell us, stop, okay? Resentment and envy and bitterness devour you from the inside. Come out and be alive and be thankful for what you have. And the wonderful thing is he does it with scientific evidence, so nobody can throw throw him out, right? Because he's got all the, the what do you call it, the statistics and and you know the, the scholarship uh, at his fingertips. Um, that's why I, uh, you know, I just that's why I love listening to Thomas Sewell. He knows exactly what the real facts are about the crime and shooting people and whatnot, yeah. and you can't shout him down because he knows exactly what the facts are, and and they're indisputable. Uh, but anyway, I can digress there. But the the I want them to enter into the story. I want them to make connections back to that aha moment. I want them to see the, you know, there's a great line in uh, the horse and his boy uh, where the kid suddenly realized, you know what? It looks like Aslan is at the back of all the stories, right? Yes. Providence, right. At the back of all the stories. Right. Uh, and, and I really think that horse and his boy was very influenced by the book of Esther. You probably know that the book of Esther almost didn't make it into canon because it's the only book in the Bible that never mentions God. Not only yeah. does it mention Yahweh, it didn't mention El, it didn't mention God at all. Uh, and yet God is behind the entire book of Esther, mm-hmm. the way he's behind Horse and his boy, taking place mostly in Kalorman, which, you know, are the, the other people that don't know, either don't know Aslan or think he's a demon god. Um, and mm-hmm. yet God is at work. So let's see how these things cross. And that learning can be a wonderful thing, right? I, I guess another thing I want, I want people to read my books, and I want that learning not to lead to cynicism, but to lead to wonder and holiness. Because mm-hmm. for a long time now, there's this idea that the more educated, whether you go to a PhD, maybe you have an MDiv, the more educated you get, the more cynical and skeptical you will become. One thing that infuriates me is the way the word critical has been stolen by the mm. critical theory people. Yeah. Not just critical race theory, critical is in all different areas. And critical should mean discernment, mm-hmm. right? What Solomon had. But critical has now meant, I have seen through everything, and I now know that everything is about power. You gentlemen know what I mean when I say we end up like the dwarves in the stable? <laughs> At the end of the last battle, uh, inside the stable, when you go through the stable door, you're, you're dead. And all the good characters find themselves in a renewed Garden of Eden. But not the dwarves, the ones who have given themselves over to despair and cynicism and, and selfishness, whatnot. All they can see is they're stuck in a dark, smelly, pokey little stable. And they can't draw them out, right? And then suddenly, Aslan appears. And Lucy says, Aslan... Isn't there something you can do for these poor dwarves? And then, gentlemen, I don't know about your listeners, but Aslan is going to speak the most un-Calvinist line in all of C.S. Lewis. He says, I will show you exactly what I can 
and cannot do. She cannot do what's going on there. Oh my gosh. Uh, make, make the Calvinists have a nightmare. And anyway, they have to listen to Lewis because they love him. Um, and, but what he means is he roars and a banquet is laid out. And at first they're eating and drinking, but it becomes quickly apparent they're not really tasting it. They think they're eating dirty hay, you know, hay and dirty water, and they're fighting each other and smacking it all over their face. And finally, Aslan says, you see, you see, I cannot help them, right? They are, <laughs> they have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their mm. prison is only in their mind, but they are in that prison yeah. and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. I'll tell you right now. Boy, that's such a, that's such a not, scary place to be. It is. It, it, it is. And I think we're putting, a, I mean, almost literally for the last two years, we've actually put ourselves in a tight little room. Uh, what, what is it? Uh, 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 Ernest Hemingway, a clean, well-lit place. Uh, and we're just stuck in there, in this sanitized place, hiding from the world. You said something about getting out and, and walking. And there, I think there's been a fair amount talked about where Lewis loved oh, yeah. going for these like long, long walks. Was great. Um, you know, again, you, know, you don't have to. I mean, some, if, I mean, if you're a real athlete and you're in training, then you can run. But, you know, if you just walk consistently at a brisk pace, you're going to be healthy without hurting your body. Yeah. Probably the best exercise all is swimming, but that just takes so much time and it's annoying. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so if, if you can swim, do it. I and mean, there's nothing better than that because it takes all the strain off your body. But walk, okay? You don't have to run. Just walk. And you don't have yeah. to look like those weird nuts with their, you know, weights or something to look like. Just oh, go the out power, the power walkers, the power walk. Yeah. <laughs> but just they, go they, out and walk, breathe in, breathe out, all of that sort of yeah. stuff. Get out in the healthy air and get some sunshine and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, I, I walk around my neighborhood. Of course, remember, I live in Houston. Some people are like, what, are you walking? What is that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but just get out. It's really funny. People spend all this money to go to a gym and walk on a track. You know, there is this thing called the outdoors. Just walk outside. You know the joke about the guy that, that, that spends all that money and he goes to his gym and he takes the escalator and then he takes the elevator to the top and then he gets out and he does a Stairmaster for an hour. I mean, it's just kind of nuts. I, I, it's really kind of funny. But Lewis and Tolkien loved to walk and they would take long walking tours. Now, you may know this. There's something funny about it. There are two different kinds of walkers, right? There are those who just want to keep moving, right? Keep that pace going. Go on. Nothing stops you. And then there are people who want to stop every five seconds and look at something. Well, Lewis was the let's keep moving. Tolkien had to stop every time he saw an interesting looking tree or flower. <laughs> what, was what are you doing? You know, back and forth and back and forth and moving forward, right? And I mean, I live in Houston, so there's really not that much to look at, you know, because it all, it's all pretty much brown. Concrete. Um, yeah. So I can keep moving. I guess if there was more beautiful trees, I'd stop. But the, um, but. It's funny how that's emulated in their writing, too. Like Lewis, Lewis plows through and Tolkien's like, I got to describe everything. <laughs> but think about, think about the two things that they do nonstop in Narnia and Lord of the Rings, the eating and walking. Okay. They eating never stop walking. walking, walking, walking. Oh my God. The first time you read Lord of the Rings, are they going to do another march, another march? And they're always ending up beside a cheerless fire. He uses that a lot. But anyway, keep walking, keep, but also eating, right? Cause a lot of times they would have a destiny. They'd, they'd walk. Uh, well, of course in Oxford, they had, um, you know, the, the eagle and child, the bird and baby. But there were also other inns that they would walk to and have their pint and their pie, you know, that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, they would love doing that. And, and you know, 
the other great friends, uh, Wordsworth and Coleridge, who set off, you know, they have had their own inklings, if you will, that encouraged yeah. each other and, you know, created a new kind of poetry. They also, they, they took walking tours of the Alps. Uh, people would go to places like Spain. They would do these walking tours together. And it's a great binding kind of thing. Now, me, I'm allergic to everything. So my son's an Eagle Scout. I tried camping. All I did was get myself sick. But I thought, I got to be a good daddy. And so what we started doing, getting in the car and driving across the country to all the national parks. Oh, no. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. They often have cabins you can stay in, right? So that you're, you're still getting the experience without, you know, if you're me getting sick in a tent. And so it, it's beautiful. But I'll tell you one thing. Everybody's like, oh, the best place is the Grand Canyon. Now, I love the Grand Canyon. Now, I'm speaking for myself. But the thing about the Grand Canyon, okay, the thing about everywhere else, you go to Rocky Mountain National Park. I love my favorite place of all is Zion National Park in Utah. But mm. even though it must have been named that way by Mormons, I'm sure, right? But anyway, Certainly. Zion must have been, right? Uh, but the, the thing is that when you go to Zion or, or Yosemite or something, the wonderful thing is you climb up the mountain, right? And you're walking up there and you're moving and you get to the top and there is that climactic moment. Everything's wonderful, right? And then you walk down, which is always easier than going down. Not the Grand Canyon. You struggle yourself to the bottom and now you're in the bottom of a pit, right? (laughs) I mean, it's beautiful. I love the Grand Canyon, but it is not the same experience, okay? Choose the mountain over the pit, okay? Because when you get to the Oh, the moral, the moral of the story. Yeah, so so up. I mean, the mountaintops. Uh, uh, one of my, one of my, my son and I. One of our favorite memories is we we arrived at at um, Zion National Park at night, and it was a full moon, and Zion oh, is all those red rocks, uh, and the moon is shining down, glimmering red. We're going from the back end, so there's nobody there. We're going weaving around. I've got the windows all open, and we're listening to the soundtrack for Ken Branagh's Henry V. Have you heard that? Da, da, dee, da, 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 da. So we got that blaring, and the only people around us are those rams, and we're moving around, and it's just the beauty and wonder of it. Uh, like I said, if you got kids, go. It doesn't cost that much money. Go and see the beauty in our country all over the place. If nothing else, if it, if you don't have a lot of money, you guys are closer to the Smoky Mountains. You can just drive through it. It doesn't cost you anything. Oh, drive love through and see oh, yeah. the beauty of that place. Uh, the uh, national park, uh, you know, if you, I mean, from Houston, you know, we, we, you can go up to Colorado uh, and from, you know, go to Rocky Mountain National Park. Then you can go up to the Grand Tetons. If you want to go through uh, Wyoming, which every single part of Wyoming is is, is a scenic route. Uh, and you yes. go through there, you go over the mountains, you go to, what is that called? Devil's Tower. Do you ever see Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, my mother actually grew up in South Dakota. Onto the Badlands, on to see Mount Rushmore. Uh, we also do a lot of caves uh, that I love because, you know, when you go out on a beautiful day, you'll see that God is a landscape painter. But if you go into the caves, you know, with the stalagmites and the stalactites, then you'll realize that God is a sculptor as well. Wow. And beauty and awe of that. And I remember taking the kids to the Sonora Caves and we went down deep and I looked up and I said, there are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places. <laughs> nobody, nobody reacted. I guess it had been 10 years since the movies came out or something, but of course my kids were static. And I'll tell you, when we got to Rocky Mountain National Park, we were about two miles high and we're way up on the top and we go to the edge, right? And the kids are looking over and I come behind them and I say, 
remember, remember, remember the signs. Again, give the whole speech from, from the silver chair. And, you know, my kids do amazing. They looked around to, you know, at first to make sure nobody was there because they were embarrassed. And then they thought this is really cool. Um, and, and, you know, just did the whole thing. So I, uh, when you, when you, as you, as you sink down, the air will thicken. Be careful. It does not confuse your minds, but get out there. One of the cool things to do with the Christian family, sometimes as we're hiking up the mountains, you know, I will say, um, uh, well, first of all, we did this because my kids had to be trained. So as we're walking, I say, the road goes ever on and on. on and then the on. kids down from the door where it began. Now far ahead, we go back and forth. Antiphonally, or I'll do, uh, uh, you know, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, and then they'll repeat it, yes. will abide in this, you know, as Psalm 91. Uh, but it is an, an amazing experience to get out there and see it. But what is that place called uh, that's close to Zion with the hoodoos? A Bryce, Bryce, Bryce Canyon. Canyon. There? Oh, wonderful. No, it's certainly, it's definitely on my list. Yeah, there's just great stuff. Yosemite is just so far away. Uh, I haven't done that with my kids yet. Uh, but there again, there's so many beautiful. Oh, Yosemite is maybe the best. Yosemite's got unbelievable variety of things. Uh, and I remember just outside of Yosemite, maybe that was in Wyoming or wherever it is. I'm losing my geometry, geography, but I took a whitewater rafting, and that's great. You know, oh, for the wow. first time to see it, you know. Oh, man. Uh, there's so many great and, life lessons that you experience in oh, those, you, you those can, places. You've got to go. You know, the heavens are telling the glory of the Lord. Let them see. The design and beauty and nature. We see the wonder, the power, and the awe of it. Uh, and uh, just you know, go to Yosemite. Go go to Yosemite. And, I'm sorry, uh, Yellowstone is what I meant. Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see, uh, you know, they. I remember with the kids. Where, where are the buffalo? Where are the buffalo? They cheated us. And then we came over a hill, and there was like a thousand of them. And it was just <laughs> unbelievable. You know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But again, we have. Oh, also uh, for Texans, we have a place called Big Bend National Park. Hmm. Just go down I-10, and then you got to go south a little bit. Uh, and again, beautiful. The least visited of the national parks because it's the middle of nowhere. I actually think that uh, um, the Smokies is the most visited because you, you have to drive through it to get to places. Uh, yeah. And uh, just wonderful. Yeah, take I was just, stone I was mountain, just there. Man, that's an amazing thing. Before they blow it up, take them to Stone Mountain, you know? <laughs> man, that's that's one of my earliest uh, memories of, of- of being in Georgia, actually, I grew oh, up yeah. in Alabama. I grew up in Alabama. We went to Stone Mountain, and, and man, just to see that rock face, and I mean, it's incredible. The uh, so if you're you're into taking these these trips on these uh, you know to these these great national places, is there one in particular that maybe shaped you, or is there something as a child that maybe these experiences kind of have gotten you to this appreciation? think for me, any kind of, now, don't put something on my back, man. I, I can't do that. Okay. I need my hands <laughs> free and all. Just give me a big water bottle. I'm, I'm okay. Because uh, I just like to walk. And, and uh, But it, it's just, I, I guess, the mountains themselves, just going up, moving here and there, getting, again, it, it's like you're you're reaching the summit, quite literally. Getting, you know, I've spoken at Summit Ministries several times. you got kids, high schoolers, send them. Uh, summit Ministries is the best worldview academy out there. Uh, it, it's a two-week thing. It meets in Manitou Springs, which is right next to Colorado Springs, which is mm-hmm. where focusing families. Beautiful, a little little bit of heaven, a little bit of Christian heaven in the middle of an incredibly secular place. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing, you know. Uh, I, I mean, 
Manitou Springs used to be the marijuana capital of the country. Now, of course, it's legal there. So it's like, you know, safe. But I mean, right in the middle is this very conservative, you know, uh, wonderful, you know, but get out there and go. And I remember taking the cogwheel train up the side of Pikes Peak, which oh, is wow. a wonderful experience going up there. So any of those things. I remember going to Mount Rushmore when I was a kid uh, and staying in a cabin and just it really is awesome. You may think it's cheesy, but it's really awesome. So you got to see Mount Rushmore, and then you got to see the Mount Rushmore of the South, which is uh, Stone Mountain. Yeah. And if you go to Stone Mountain, take them to see the laser show at night. Oh, yeah. Laser I, show I distinctly show. remember and that. There yep. is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Talk about the healing we need. And there's this incredible scene where, you know, how uh, uh, Lee and, and uh, uh, Grant you know, meet at the Appomattox Courthouse, and the two of them are meeting, right? And they take it off, and then Lee takes his sword, and he breaks it over his knee. And the two pieces of the sword start dancing up and down, and they become the southern states and the northern states, and then they come together. And it's just it's just a, a very you know wonderful moment of you know a little bit of time for healing, okay? A little time for healing. Let's get back together and stuff. But it's just beautifully done. I hope they haven't changed it. Uh, but the uh, but again, there, there are wonders here, and it's it's just like I said, it's something about the air at the top of the mountain, uh, the the breathing in, the breathing in slowly, the moving through. Uh, there there are some great places in San Antonio. And my other favorite is the San Antonio River Walk. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to San Antonio, because yeah. it is so beautiful. Because the trouble with our country now is every place looks the same. Mm. Now, if you go to Savannah, Georgia, that looks different. If you go to the uh, parts of New Orleans, that looks different. There's a few places that are still uh, individualistic, but most places look the same, but not the Riverwalk. If you take the Riverwalk, every bend of the Riverwalk looks different. There is no, every doorway looks the same, every arch, everything is unique. It's the most beautiful, it's like a, a Gothic cathedral hmm. where you do have a master craftsman that oversees it. But all these different people are doing their own gargoyles, this and that, and you get something together that is beautiful. And you know, it's, it's diversity, uh, e pluribus unum, right? And it's 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 unity out of diversity. Uh, so go there. It's it's just it's it's hard to even explain how beautiful it is to walk around there. And and so they used to say, "Go shanks mare," which is a weird old saying for do it on your own two legs and go around, <laughs> walk and, and see, because the beauty's still there, right? And and you know, do you know what group has the most respect for nature and the most respect for the Native American Indians? It is the 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 the, the group. I'm talking about the Boy Scouts. Okay, uh, the last place where boys are allowed to be boys until they destroyed it. Um, but they have this love for nature. You know what their their phrase is? Is uh, leave no trace. Okay, yeah. they're not worshiping nature like the crazy people, but they understand their role as stewards. And they really respect the Indians, not so they can feel good about themselves in virtue signal. They respect the Native American Indians and their cultures. And whenever yeah. they do their Indian dances, I mean, they, they do all their research and it's done with, with a sense of awe and reverence. The That's people neat. that fight for multi have absolutely no respect for any of these cultures. Hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, they say they do, but they don't really. It's kind of a weird, weird kind of thing. Uh, so, Get out there. Go go with some Boy Scouts. You know, my, my son did film up, you know, where they hike and things like that. Uh, there's so many beautiful places, you know, and, you know, even, you know, like, like uh, uh, the, uh, you go to Florida, go down to the Keys or something. I mean, there's mm. just really amazing things. Get in, have you ever been in an airboat, gentlemen? 
Yeah. No, I have. Down the road the back. Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah down here on that. Stuff. We live, yeah. you know, Mobile has the, we have the the river delta down here. So you can oh, you do see? That yeah, you can do that I, mean, I mean, I like the mountains, but there's even beauty in the swamp. But you have to know where to look for it. I have a guy that, yeah. you know, doesn't let you get eaten by an alligator. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's beauty there as well. I raised my kids with this mantra. The world is full of magic. You just need eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And the wonder is all around us. We don't notice it. Right? We don't, That's good. I love The cliche that. is we don't stop to smell the roses, but it's true. We don't notice the beauty. I'll tell you a really funny story. You guys will get a kick at. I'm sure you're big fans of, of Patrick Stewart, right? Who, uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard from Next Generation. And he was being interviewed by Jay Leno back, you know, a while ago. And British people walk. They walk everywhere. And he was visiting his friend in L.A. They were in the house talking. And he said, let's take a walk. And his friend looked at him like he was insane. No, no, let's take a walk. And so he said, they started walking down his driveway to get to the street. And he saw his friend stop and look at a bush at the end of his driveway in a way as if he had never actually looked at it before. Like he'd never <laughs> seen it. And he just kind of looked at it with wonder. Right? And they continued walking down the street. Now, this is exactly how he told the story. And the guy's wife was coming home from work. And so as they're walking, she's coming down in the car and she's and she stops him. What's wrong? What's wrong? Is the car broken? Is the house? Like, no, no, we're just taking a walk. What's wrong with we're just taking a get in the car? <laughs> and so they got in the car and she drove them back home. Oh she couldn't gosh. imagine that they were just taking a walk. Just going for a walk. The weather's beautiful in LA. So it's like, what are you doing? You know, I'm sweating to death in Houston. I'm still taking a walk, right? Um That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mobile's the same way. We're gonna be doing some sweat and we're going for a walk. Lewis wasn't necessarily somebody that loved church. I mean, as soon as church was over, that guy was out. People said he could hear. I mean, he, you know, he was paying his respects to him. He did it, okay? He was part of the community, and he did it. And one of my favorite stories is when I went to visit Cambridge uh, and, and got a tour from somebody that knew Lewis, and he was saying that Lewis's uh, rooms at Cambridge were right above the chapel. And Lewis would set the timer on his uh teapot because of course you know they're addicted to tea in england he set the teapot so that you know when the service was supposed to be over the teapot would whistle and lewis would rush off and that was when you know, <laughs> the service was going too long i have not, I have not heard that okay? That's so amazing. it wasn't one of these and you know what he said about hymns i hate to say it that they're what is it third rate third rate music set to fourth rate poetry i don't know yep. why he's never got it i mean there are some bad ones uh but the uh but, but, but anyway the point is, is that Lewis and Tolkien, you know, believed in allegiance. Okay, you're, you're part of something, right? And, you know, I just wrote a review. It's going to appear in the Imagine Conservative. This is a very controversial book called It's Good to Be a Man. You seen that book? Mm -mm. Uh, Mark uh, Foster and Tennant, whatever. But it's interesting. He said, you know, for, for a man to fulfill the mission that God has given him, he needs two things. He needs the godly wife, but he also needs the band of brothers. You need mm -hmm. both. And this is not something I realized as a kid because, you know, evangelicals make you believe that if you find the right husband or wife, that person should be everything to you. That, first of all, that's completely unbiblical. It's also just not true. A woman needs to keep her female friends. A man needs to keep his male friends. Mm -hmm. And you will strengthen the, the marriage that way. Uh, and he even said, gentlemen, your mission is not finding a wife. Your mission is finding what God has for you. And then you find a wife who will participate with you in that. 
I'm not, you know, a hunter and a fisherman, but you know, most men are. Go out and do that, okay? Go out and bond that way. Here, here I'll, I'll just tell you something funny. The difference between male and female friendships, okay? Um, if 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 a woman said, you know, to her female friends, you know, let's go out in the woods and we'll get to know each other and share things, right? Now, if a man said that to his male friend, but if he said, let's go out into the woods and make a fire and talk about life and while we do it, we'll kill some animals, then it's okay, okay? <laughs> so we need our time as well, okay? But we need, you know, we need to be doing something, right? We're side by side, right? If you ever watch, if you ever look at movie posters for female buddy movies, they're always facing each other, right? If you look at male buddy movies, they're always side by side looking forward. That's what we need to do. We need to have a common purpose. But as we're doing that purpose, like Lewis and talking, taking our walking tours, we are also getting to know each other. We are also sharing things and growing as men. That's good. So, Lewis. That's a weird thing to say we can learn that from Lewis and Tolkien, but I think we can. The fellowship mm. is, I mean, I am so glad, guys, that the Lord of the Rings movies were made by someone from Australia and New Zealand, because if it was made in America, they would never have allowed that close intimacy between Sam and Frodo, which is the heart of the novel in the movie. Luckily, mm. you know, news, men in New Zealand are, are actual men, and they're, they know who they are, and they're secure, and they can be affectionate the way the men are. You know, in Narnia, they're always hugging and kissing each other, and, and, and they are in the fellowship. So th this is important. And for guys, it's that outdoor experience. You mm. go outside and you, you're wild at heart, whatever. You go out and do these things. And I think Lewis and Tolkien would approve. I don't know if they ever went fishing, but they certainly went walking. Uh, I don't good. think British people are allowed to have guns anyway. So, um, But we need to get them over here and give them a gun. Yay! There you go. Born things as we close. What's uh, We always like to ask, what's your next adventure? Wow, man. Well, you know what? Finally, finally, the co you know the quarantine's up. So I've got somebody that wants to fly me out to Belfast. I've been to England, but it's you know North Ireland, Belfast. Uh, wow. So hopefully I'll be doing that. And then somebody just emailed me wanting me to come speak in Fairbanks, Alaska. So it's like, all okay, right. all right. So maybe we'll, we'll get out Those there. Those certainly qualify as adventures. I love yeah, it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good to, to get out there and, and go and uh, – uh, it, it's just, you know, we experience new things. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Lewis traveled very little in Tolkien, but they traveled in their imagination as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we have all traveled with them. <laughs> yeah. Man, this Lewis. has been a great conversation. Um, where uh, where can people hear, hear more about? I mean, you've written an awful thing, lot of books. Yeah, the best thing, just go to Amazon.com and type in Lewis Marcos, M-A-R-K-O-S, Greek name, uh, and my author page has everything. And then go to YouTube and type in Lewis Marcos. And I've got a YouTube channel that's got all sorts of things you can watch for free. Uh, and if you go to the teaching company, you know you can you can find my. We'll make my sure we'll make sure to them. we'll make sure to link all of those things uh, and share that, and hopefully uh, you know expose uh, some new folks to all of your work, man. Right. Well, thanks so much. Been, been good to chat. Absolutely. We we we're so encouraged by our conversation today, and we hope. Uh, we hope everybody that listens is encouraged. We are a lot of a lot of good stuff, and we covered a lot of ground quickly. Um, but I really appreciate, and Brian and I both really appreciate you taking time to join us today. I know you have a busy schedule, but as we always close, we say we hope these uh, stories and and conversations encourage people to uh, to go write their own stories and share their own adventures in what we like to call the storied outdoors. Amen.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take some time to leave us a review. Or better yet, share it with a friend. We hope these stories encourage you. Encourage you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors. Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growly Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growly Leather. So visit GrowlyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors.